Hey, I want to say good morning to those joining us online. It's great to have us. And I just want to echo uh, Abby's comments earlier. Next week, uh, Pastor Benji will be back in the house and launching our new series on Galatians. And a time for us to jump into a book and really explore and rediscover the good news. And so looking forward to that. Well, like many dads probably hearing my voice right now, when my kids were little, I had the job of the bedtime routine. I'd take the kids upstairs, put them in their PJs, uh, brush their teeth, get them into bed, quick game of uh, paper, rock, scissors, then thumb wars, then prayer, and then I'd try and get out of there. But dads, you'll feel me right now. That moment from getting up from the bed to the door, uh, kids just try and stretch that for as long as humanly possible, right? So this is one day, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd finished, I said, amen, and my son uh, said, Daddy, can I tell you a story? And I knew it was a made-up story in the moment, but I, my heart melted, and I said, yes, okay. And so he starts this story, and I know it's not going anywhere, and so forth. And I'm just waiting for that moment where his little mind was not quite caught up with where the story was going. And at that moment, I stood up, and I walked to the door, and when I got to the door, my son said, Daddy the story isn't finished yet. And I know that there are dads in the room, mums in the room who know what it feels like to hear your child say, the story isn't finished yet. And today, I wanna dive into an Old Testament story with a leader who is trying to navigate through how the story would finish with seemingly insurmountable obstacles to try and bring to life a 500-year-old dream. I wonder today how many of you would identify being in a season of deep disappointment? A season where your story just hasn't played out how you thought it would. Uh, maybe you're an aspiring entrepreneur and you launched a business last year and COVID hit. <laughs> Maybe uh, you're going through some relational difficulties right now. Uh, perhaps you've got an adult daughter who is where she ought not to be. Maybe a teenage son who is frustrating you and you're disappointed with the group that he's hanging out in. Maybe you've aspired for a job promotion and they've just given it to someone else. Perhaps you've applied for the house of your dream and been denied for the mortgage. Perhaps you've applied to the college that you've aspired to be at and you were also denied. And you find yourself in a season of deep disappointment and you're wondering how it is that God is at work in the midst of this. In fact, whatever your level of disappointment, it causes you to go to a place where you wonder, what is God doing? A few years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to spend a day at the largest maximum security prison in the States. It's in Louisiana called Angola Prison. There wasn't one prisoner that I met with that day that wasn't there with a life sentence. Uh, they took me down and I toured down death row where inmates are in a six by nine cell for 23 hours a day. And because of their crimes, they couldn't receive human touch. But with two guards by my side, I put my hand through the rails, shook their hand and prayed for them. They took me on to the execution chamber where I just let tears freely roll down my face. And later that day, I got to preach in the prison chapel. 
And let me tell you, there is nothing like prisoner worship. When people are stripped away of everything and all they have is an expression to reach out to God and their guilt and their shame. I won't soon forget the worship that I experienced at that prison that day. Well, I told a story that I'm gonna tell to you. But that day, I felt just an unease about talking about it. You see, the story is about one of the most defeated times in my life. A time when I felt like my dream was over. And sharing this to a room of inmates who will probably never see outside of these bars seemed like my story pale in insignificance to what they're enduring. But afterwards, many prisoners came to me and thanked me for sharing my story. And I shared how uncomfortable I was. And one prisoner said this. He said, Pastor, it is not the depth of your heartache, but the depth of your vulnerability that connects us. So I'm going to tell this story. So in 2005, my wife and I were two years in living in the States. We had uh, felt this call of God to minister in the United States, and we were two years in, we'd had a daughter, we'd bought a house, things were going great, we felt like it was time to put our roots down, and the next step was us to apply for permanent residency in the US, to get a green card. So we went to an immigration attorney, He did the whole application. He said it'll take a couple of years, but this will all go smoothly, and you should be set in two years to get green cards. Well, two years rolled around, and instead of receiving green cards, I received instruction to go back to the US Embassy in Melbourne, Australia that had issued my work visa. And so I uh, grabbed a suitcase and packed a few things, gave my wife a kiss and my daughter, and I left to go back, visit family and friends, go to the embassy, get a stamp in my passport, and come back to the US. While I'm there at the US embassy, my file gets called, I step into this private booth in front of this big plane of glass, the consulate general is in the other side, an intimidating figure. He looks at me, he opens the file, he types on the computer, looks back at me and he says, Mr. Whitehead, uh, the immigration guidelines have changed and your work visa is invalid and we're gonna apply a three-year re-entry bar effective immediate on your passport. I said, okay, so let me understand this correctly. I gotta go back to the US, pack up my life, and then move back to Australia. He said, no, it's effective immediate. You can't return to the US for 36 months. I said, I have a wife and a citizen daughter, a house, a job at a church. And he said these words, and I've never forgotten them. He looked at me in the eye and he said, it doesn't look good for you, Mr. Whitehead. Have a good day. And as I stepped out of that booth, trying to catch my thoughts, realizing the very next thing I needed to do was call my wife. And so I'm dialing the phone and my wife answers and she says, how did it go? And I said, I need you to sell our house, sell all our furniture, have a big yard sale, our TV, our couch, our bed, our daughter's toys, sell our two cars. I'll go by the church and tell them the student pastor isn't coming back. They're not letting me come back to the US for three years. I need you to move back to Australia. 
and our dream was over. Our entire lives were in Nashville, Tennessee. Job and house and ministry and calling and our aspirations to follow God, to follow after him. And the rug was pulled out from under us. And we went into a place of deep disappointment and of doubt. We doubted God. We doubted our calling. Our immigration had become this tangled web that we couldn't see a way of untangling it. This this obstacle on what felt like was our dream, what felt like our calling, our life. This re-entry bar was a wall between us and our dream. I don't know how familiar you are with heartache and disappointment. I'm guessing pretty familiar. And as you listen to my voice right now, you may really relate with what it means to go into a place where you feel like your reality, your obstacles and your challenges are such that you sense God is distant, God is no longer for you, and you wonder what is his plan and purpose in your life. Well, in the Hebrew Scriptures, we find one of the great leaders of the Old Testament named Joshua. He has a mission to lead his people uh, who've been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, have now spent 40 years in wilderness wanderings, and they come to the place where they cross the Jordan River to fulfill a promise from God that was over 500 years old, to, to bring to life a dream that was 500 years in the making. God had promised it to Abraham. And now to Joshua, that he would take up the first city, Jericho. Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. A huge city, an intimidating, fortified city. In some places, the walls stood 20 feet high and 25 feet deep with soldiers standing on guard They could see far off into the distance any enemies approaching. Jericho was a symbol of military power and strength. And in fact, the Canaanites considered it to be invincible and its walls impenetrable. Quite frankly, in human terms, the Israelites didn't stand a chance of taking up this first city to fulfill the 500-year-old prophecy and promise that they would occupy the promised land. Now check this out, in stark contrast, this is what Joshua has. He's the general, general of freed slaves, an army that were either born in wilderness or in slavery in Egypt where they were oppressed and shut out of educational institutions, shut out of governmental leadership, shut out of military training with no technical skills. Joshua's army has had no combat experience or training whatsoever. And Joshua feels alone. His circumstances daunting. The task before him, how on earth are they gonna take up this first city? And if they can't conquer this first city, how are they gonna conquer and take up the land that God has promised them? 
And the challenges continue to mount for Joshua. Before Joshua leads his untested army into battle, while they're camping halfway between the Jordan River and the city of Jericho, recorded in chapter five, Joshua in the Old Testament, the words that God instructs them to recommit themselves to the covenant by way of mass adult circumcision. Quick recap. Joshua's leading an army of untrained, untested, and now surgery-recovering soldiers <laughs> against the most fortified and revered military powerhouse in all the land. And this is where we succumb to doubt. It's in our disappointment. In the depth of our disappointment, we find ourselves in doubt. Look at Joshua. His reality is not ready for battle. His army is not ready for combat. This is their reality. His obstacle, the wall, the most revered and fortified wall in all the land. His challenge, challenges are against a well-trained, disciplined military powerhouse. His doubt was easily explainable. Lean in. Where is your doubt easily explainable because of your disappointment? Where does it feel like your dream is over and you get into the mode of justifying your doubt? Your reality, your obstacles, your challenges, you find yourself in a season where you feel like your dream is over when disappointment is so deep, when your circumstances make you feel like your back is up against the wall and it's over. Then let me borrow the words from my young son for a moment. The story isn't finished yet. Listen to these scriptures. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promises. Amen? Galatians 6, 9. So let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. The story isn't finished yet. So Joshua goes out alone to reflect. He finds himself somewhere between his camp and in the distance is the city of Jericho. Maybe he goes out there to strengthen himself in the Lord. Maybe he goes out there to kind of have a pity party in his doubt. Maybe he's just kind of reflecting on all the obstacles that seem insurmountable and he just wants to get alone. He doesn't want any company right now. Do you relate with that? The midst of your circumstances, just wanting to kind of dwell in your disappointment. You've kind of flung open the doorway of disappointment and you walk out and just embrace it. I just don't want to be around anyone right now. And it's right at this moment we see recorded in Scripture that God comes and meets and Joshua has an encounter. It's recorded in Joshua 5, verse 13, and it reads, 
He looked up and saw a man facing him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. And Joshua did as he was told. Joshua has an encounter with God right in the midst of his disappointment. These three verses are absolutely critical in order for us to understand the battle of Jericho. You see, it changes the story from the possibility of it simply being an imperialistic endeavor to one about faith in the midst of insurmountable challenges, insurmountable obstacles. For suddenly, Joshua looks up and he sees before him a man with sword drawn on the battlefield. You see, this is a warrior saying, I am ready for combat. Now, in this moment, Joshua has a decision. You see, he knows who he is. He's the commander of the Israelite army, meaning he is the general. He outranks anyone who is friend on the battlefield. Meaning, if a lieutenant was to pull his sword on a general, he would be sent back to camp. But if this is foe, he has an enemy and he's either gonna step into it and step up into combat or he's gonna flee back to camp to get uh, extra assistance. The Bible tells us that Joshua steps up. He goes to the man. He says, are you friend or foe? But in that moment, he encounters that he's actually been outranked on the battlefield. You see, the warrior says, I'm neither. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And with this, Joshua realizes that he's outranked and he falls to his face in the dirt. He says, what would you have your servant do? See, too often we come to Jesus with our disappointment, with our conditions or our agenda and we miss the point. Can you help me with this or that? I'll follow you if you turn these circumstances around. I'm having family difficulties or employment challenges or financial strains. I've got an agenda and I need to know, are you friend or foe? God, are you with me or against me? Now check this out. If God is with me, then that disappointment should never have happened. If God is friend, God is with me, that whole COVID thing shouldn't have happened and take out my business, hurt a loved one. If God is for me, my loved one wouldn't have passed away. If God is for me, then that relationship that I felt was leading to a proposal and engagement and then he just pulled away, that would never have happened. You see, we come, the battlefield of our awareness of our story as the general of our own story and we look to enlist God into our army. 
and we say, God, as the general of my life, I'm looking for you to be a lieutenant and this is what I need you to do. This is the conditions that we come to God with. We see this illustrated with the two thieves on the cross. The first thief comes with a condition and he says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, then get us down from here. And if I survive this, I will follow you. And the second thief says, that's the wrong question entirely. It's not actually if God is for us, it's are we for God? And he declares, as long as you are with me, the story isn't finished yet. And we see illustrated for us at Calvary, the two opportunities for us to respond to God. So let me ask you in your reality, in your current obstacles, the challenges that you're facing, have you surrendered it over to the general? Just sitting here in this time this morning, reflecting on your life and some of your story, is it time that you recommit and hand it over to the general of your life? To remove the conditions and to hit the dirt and to declare to him, I'm your servant, what would you have me do? For it's times like this that we get to remind one another who we're speaking to. This is the one who holds the universe in the very essence of who he is. The power of his spoken word can change your situation, can change your circumstance in an instant. He is God, the sovereign one on the throne, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In the Old Testament, it declares to us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. To interpret that in modern day, it would be he owns Amazon and Google and Microsoft. <laughs> For Joshua, he returns to his army with a whole set of different instructions. And if you know your Bible, it rolls on into chapter six of Joshua and talks about the battle of Jericho. And the instructions are these. We're gonna get together an armed guard at the front then a horn section and a brass section and the praise team and the priests and the Ark of the Covenant and then everyone else. And we're gonna, for six days, march around the city of Jericho one lap and we're gonna do it in silence and reverence. And then he says, check this out, on the seventh day, we're gonna do seven laps. And on the last lap, when you hear the ram's horn blast, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, break your silence, move to making a joyful noise unto the Lord, and we're gonna worship the God of the created order. And at that, Hebrews 11 tells us that it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days. And what happened? What about you? What about your belief this morning? Your belief in the power of God to overcome your perceived reality, your perceived reality that is one of earthly perspective versus an eternal perspective. What about your belief in the provision of God to remove your obstacles? He has the means and the power to do it. What about your faith to see challenges surrender 
to God's plan and purpose in your life. This is the unexplainable. See, many acts of God are acts that are unexplainable in our life. And suddenly our perceived reality, our obstacles and our challenges become the unexplainable movement of God. You see, at the end of the day, what is amazing about the Battle of Jericho is it wasn't won by hand-to-hand combat. It wasn't this greatest military victory overcoming all the odds. But it was won by an unexplainable act of faith. In 2007, we had just moved back to Australia. We were settled and I won't forget a conversation very early on when we'd moved back that my wife had with me and she said this, we will not give up. We are going to embrace the activity of God in our life where he's at work in us and through us and we are not going to give up. We're gonna follow him and his plan for our life. If it be here in Australia or back in the United States, we will not give up. (laughs) Four years goes by, and in 2011, we get an invitation to join a church staff in Chicago, Illinois, and we find ourselves at the US Embassy in Melbourne, Australia, in front of the Consulate General, and he may not have remembered me, <laughs> but I remembered him. He opened my file, typed on his computer, he looked at me and he said, did you have a three-year re-entry bar applied to your passport? I said, yes, sir. Hmm, typed a little longer and he said, that was incorrectly categorized, that should never have happened. (laughs) Friends, as long as God is with me, my story isn't finished yet. In 2005, we had a dream to be permanent residents of the United States. We had a calling to live here and to minister here, to put our roots down here and to call this place our home. And in 2015, 10 years later, we received our green cards and earlier this year, we became US citizens. Our perceived reality, our immigration obstacles and challenges was all explainable why we doubted the activity in our life. But as long as God is with me, my story isn't finished yet. Some of you have so needed those words today. Some of you have been journeying alone for too long and living and dwelling in your doubt. And today's kind of a day of coming home. Today's a day for you to receive the truth that your story isn't finished yet. 
I wanna ask you if you would stand to your feet. Gonna have Owen, would you just kind of bring the lights down for a moment? I just wanna invite people just to embrace your story right now. I wanna speak some words of faith over you. Joseph sat forgotten in a prison, but the story isn't finished yet. Moses was leading an enslaved people in Egypt, but the story isn't finished yet. Josiah lived under the tyranny of his father, the king, but the story isn't finished yet. Esther experienced the genocide of her people, but the story isn't finished yet. Jonah ran from his calling in rebellion. The story isn't finished yet. Elijah is depressed and suicidal, but the story isn't finished yet. David was being hunted by King Saul and 3,000 soldiers, but the story isn't finished yet. Peter denied three times ever meeting the Galilean, but the story isn't finished yet. And Jesus lies dead in a borrowed tomb and the dream is over, but the story isn't finished yet. Where does it feel like your dream is over? Perhaps you're in a season of great disappointment. Maybe work is downsizing and you never thought it would happen to you. Maybe you're in this convoluted, tangled relationship that you don't see a way out. It feels like it's insurmountable. Maybe your house is being foreclosed on and you wonder, how is this happening? Your dream is over. Maybe your health is failing. Maybe you've received a diagnosis or that of a loved one. You feel like this is not the way it was supposed to go and I feel defeated. Then hear me say it again. Your story isn't finished yet. The story isn't finished yet. You see, after three days, Jesus summons all the power of heaven in an unexplainable act and He rises from the dead to declare again that the story isn't finished yet. <laughs> Second Corinthians 4.16 says, that is why we never give up. The story isn't finished yet. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. That's the Word of God right there, huh? Come on. You know what's noteworthy in this story is before the Battle of Jericho, before the victory is received by Joshua and the Israelites, God causes them to stop and to recommit themselves to Him. He causes them to do an outward expression of an inward commitment. But there's this pivotal moment where He stops them in His track, in their tracks. 
He stops them in their perceived reality of defeat and He surrounds them. There's this recommitment ceremony that takes place. It's something I wanna invite you into. In the midst of your personal story right now, maybe your disappointment, maybe the way your story has unfolded is not the way you thought it would go. There's an opportunity where God wants to have an encounter with you right in the midst of your disappointment and have you recommit yourself to Him. Recommit yourself to say, I believe because the tomb is empty. I believe because Jesus rose from the dead. I believe because I have seen the unexplainable acts of God throughout my life. I believe because I've seen His faithfulness never fail. I believe because the promises of God are always yes and amen. Do you need to stop doubting God today? Do you need to stop doubting God today? The story is not over. It's not finished. In fact, before I move on, I I wanna speak to just a few people. Some of you never came today anticipating that you would go public with your faith and be baptised. Some of you are so aware that you're just in your street clothes and you need me to tell you that we have shorts and t-shirt in every kind of size and towels and all that, we can get that done. Some of you actually have a physical commitment to God today in in an outward expression of a personal decision where you invited Jesus Christ in your life, you've just never gone public with it. And today, as you've been listening to my voice, maybe you've been aware of your heart beating in your chest a little more than you usually are. And I would say that's probably God prompting the Holy Spirit, just nudging you to step out and to be baptised today to encounter Jesus in a way today on October 31st, 2021, that breaks this season of doubt in your life and embraces the belief that your story isn't finished yet. Every single believer who goes down into the water is declaring that as long as Jesus is with me and they come up out of the water, my story isn't finished yet. Friends, this is how I see it. We've got trunk or treat at three o'clock. So we've got between now and three o'clock to baptise as many people who wanna get baptised, right? We're gonna sing a song. We're gonna sing a song that declares that nothing is impossible to our God. The the one who makes a way where there seems there is no way. The one who tears down walls, the obstacles in our lives. The insurmountable challenges He removes by His power. We're gonna declare that. And some of you need to sing this song as a prayer of breaking a season in your life of doubt and embrace the belief that your story's not finished yet. That though it feels like your back is against the wall, it's not over yet. There are times in in church life, in worship services like this, where 
we can miss moments of sealing a decision with God. And I don't want you to miss that moment today. To, to seal a decision to recommit yourself and to see breakthrough happen. I want you to receive that today because your story isn't finished yet. So we're gonna sing and you're gonna declare that God, nothing is impossible in Him. Amen? Amen.